had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. And welcome to Transformation and Change Radio. I'm excited you're joining us today. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. And today I'm particularly excited to be again with Dr. Tanya Williams for Authentic Seeds Coaching and Consulting. We're going to be looking at how do we create structures, how do we create opportunities inside and outside organizations to do our own healing work in our marginalized identities. You know, being sexed female at birth, growing up socialized female, coming out as lesbian and realized I was socialized within this heterosexism and sexism. I just always thought I wasn't good enough, that I just had to try harder. I wasn't smart enough. And I didn't have the confidence, risk-taking belief in myself to just show up in my fullness and brilliance. And it took me years to realize, oh, there's something else here called oppression. And then even longer to realize there's internalized subordination. And so I'm delighted to realize this morning, I realized we've known each other 20 years, Dr. Tanya Williams. <laughs> it, 1999, December, Social Justice Training Institute. <sighs> transforms my life. So it, it's, a, it's, it's a pleasure. It truly is a pleasure. And it's been transforming my life for now, actually, 20 years we've been doing SJTI. Uh, and it's in my privileged internalized domination where I put most of my attention So I'm excited today to continue to learn with you and from you about what is internalized subordination, how do you heal, and mostly how do we create spaces, particularly organizations, our responsibility. To watch you over the years do such incredible liberation work, social justice work in higher ed and student affairs, and then as a senior diversity officer now, what, four or five years, full-time consulting and coaching, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. authentic seeds, coaching consultant. So Could you tell us a bit more about yourself, your passion for this work of healing, and why is it so important we do our work around internalized subordination, that healing work? Sure. So um, I always have to lead with the fact that I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, And I think that that speaks to my want to understand internalized subordination. Um, I think growing up in Houston, Texas, going to predominantly white uh, schools and then living in a uh, black community, attending black churches. Uh, I I live this kind of in-between life around race, at least. Um, And so, you know, really having the chance to um, explore why uh, I felt like, in, like you said, struggled with my enoughness around race where I didn't feel smart enough or I always thought that, you know, some of the white kids or even other, some of the other kids of color that were not black were smarter than me 
um, I, I struggled with that, like elementary, junior high, high school, all of that college, you know, graduate school, it was constant. And so, um, like you said, understanding and learning about oppression, I really started to try to dive into like what's going on internally. And that, it fascinated me because I think so much of what we learned um, in the graduate program that was was in was like about the system. And, and I don't know why, but I got that there was, and maybe it was because of my own like feeling of inadequacy. I'm like, so what's, what's wrong like within this body? Because the system's doing all of these things. Yes, I get that. But what's going on here and, and where can I have control? And mm. so that's the piece for me about why look at internalized subordination. Um, I, I love the concept of um, like just being able to have, you have locus of control um, and, you know, the ability to have influence, like spheres of influence. My influence is great, greatest right here in this body. Um, and so I can't, I can't fix like all of the systems. I can do my work and there is lots of work that I can do, but right here in this physical body of mine in this psychological understanding of, of myself is where I can really create some change and then be able to influence and effect change outside of myself in a larger system of oppression. Um, but I can't do that if I don't understand my internal subordination. Hmm. You just reminded me that our doctoral work, I was a, you are a tad younger than me, uh, but we had many of the similar mm -hmm. uh, mentors, uh, Dr. Barbara Love, um, especially her work around healing, internalized subordination, particularly liberation, doctors yep. uh, Bailey Jackson, Rita Hardiman, and racial identity development. So I'm just thinking as I hear you, so I remember studying racial identity development. I got that as a lesbian, I went through stages of identity development uh, as a woman, but I didn't get the healing part. I got that I moved from believing oppression is to the anger stage, to kind of integration, but I still missed, and that could have been I was off drinking, I was off doing other things, who knows what I was doing, healing from my mom's death. I didn't get internalized subordination. So when I look back at what I have done for decades, as a woman believing men are smarter, that quote, male ways are better, um, following the direction of men, questioning the competence of women, so I started coming out. I was full of such self-hatred, shame as lesbian. Ooh, I just realized I have subordination uh, body size. And so growing up, I had 60 or so more pounds on my body at different times. So just the shame, self-hatred about, quote, being fat and believing people that were thinner were smarter, better. So just those are just some examples that came to mind. Um, I thought that quote, more attractive lesbians were better. So I the inter, just hit me I'm, right now, the intersection of sizeism and ha, internalized you know, oppression around lesbian. Um, so, and then just, I'm gonna stop because I'm working myself right now realizing. Um, <laughs> yes. So imposter syndrome. So are there other examples that you're seeing? Because your whole doctoral research was on internalized uh, subordination, healing, liberation. Are there other common examples that cross 
marginalized identities. Yes, everyone's mm-hmm. different, but are there some similar dynamics that folks listening go, ooh, because of age, I have internalized ageism. Yep. Well, and really just think about it. Um, and this is, I, I, I feel myself getting fascinated when I teach about, you know, systems of oppression. I'll talk about internalized um, subordination, internalized domination, internalized oppression being my favorite. And I say that in, in quotes because none of them are my favorite, but it's, it's the one that I'm most fascinated by because there are some things that I think cross groups. If, you, if we think about the ways in which um, oppression like creates itself in a society, it, it does things like have people feel like they're not enough. Um, it does things like having something other than your identity seen as the optimal or the best. And so you're always looking at that dominant group and some, you know, cross dominant groups um, and, and seeing that like that's always better. And so there are some things that go, I, I believe that go across the board um, because they're like shame. Shame is one of those things that oppression uses I think in the in the form of, and this is this is new thinking for me. I think shame, like, is it is it's a function of internalized subordination. Like, I am as a black person, the way that it's set up in society, I'm supposed to have shame about myself and shame about not liking myself or not seeing the fullness or brilliance of, of myself and other people who look like me. And so I, I think, I definitely think you're onto something and there are some things that are across, we can go, you know, gender, we can go uh, sexual orientation, we can go class, we, that people who experience, it's much like the patterns and dynamics of um, oppression, like the patterns that show up in marginalized groups those are, in some ways, sometimes manifestations of internalized subordination. Yeah. As I hear you, um, my understanding is, if I go to race, whites created white supremacy, racism, to keep themselves in power. Uh, and so internalized subordination, not good enough, folk of color, deficient, and then the individualization, if that's the word. So yeah. you have to work harder. If you work harder, you can do better. And it's your fault if we don't, if you don't. Yep. Be like us. Cultures of folk of color, indigenous cultures are less than primitive. We're civilized. So all that propaganda brainwashing that I got growing up. Um, we all got. Yeah. And then internalized and are subordinated. Because yes. I could have done the same thing around male patriarchy, misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, but that comment of individualization, it's your fault if you don't pull yourself by your bootstraps. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the recognition that the system, everything that the system is doing to perpetuate itself, it's setting up some folks as dominant and setting up some folks as marginalized by that system. And the people who are marginalized by that system, they have to take in all of that stuff too. And so what do you, if you're living in the identity that is marginalized by that system, what do you think is going to happen? Like, like I, I love to tell a story and it took me a really long time to get this. 
I was convinced one that, you know, my parents didn't do enough to have me <laughs> not internalize my subordination as a black person. I, I was constantly like, why did my mom send me to predominantly white schools? They should have sent me to a black school. I would have done so much better. Um, why did I, you know, why did <laughs> my parents got me ebony essence? My grandmother had jet. And so I'm like, oh, we should have gotten more black, you know, art, art, articles and authors. And, and I'm like, oh, they, they got me all those things. They told me that I was important, but they also told me I had to do two times better then. And so like they had internalized the marginalization and the subordination. The world was giving it to me, my teachers, the other children at school, the television and media. I, I was, <laughs> I'm a huge Prince fan. And I was rewatching a video this morning and uh, there was an American Music Award and Prince won an American Music Award. And the label for it was um, like best black single. And so it's like, it's not music, it's, it's over here. And so the world was giving me up and they, my parents could have done everything they wanted to, but the world was still, other than living on an island by ourselves, I don't know that I could have avoided that marginalization. Therefore, I don't know that I could have avoided the internalizing of that. And so I think that that's the thing. I was convinced when I was studying my dissertation, like there was a way to avoid it. Like I've, I've come to the realization now, at least living in the United States, and I would almost go globally, um, there is no way to avoid the internalization. Hmm. It's just now like, what's, what are, what's the work that needs to be done to heal it? And that's, I think, the tricky part. New thought. I have to be willing as someone in marginalized identity to do that deep, I think it's just deep healing hard work. And I'm remembering that I thought I was the good lesbian. So if I just acted a certain way and I succeeded and I moved quickly through organizations in higher ed, if I was the woman who acted right and was assertive and direct, but not too assertive and worked with men because they were smarter. And so if I just survived, I could thrive and succeed. And so I remember part of the impact of internalized oppression for me, I was critiquing other women, critiquing other queer folk as not as good, less than, but I was also, well, that might be a theme, is this better than, less than, this either or. Um, who are the queer folk or women that I wanted to be more like? They succeeded. Uh, and until I got ready and saw the devastation of internalized sexism and heterosexism on me, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I was willing because I got a lot of benefits from colluding and working within the system and perpetuating it. I hate saying that, mm -hmm. but I helped hold, hold it up. And I think that that's the thing for me about internalized subordination, that one, the benefits, and quotes, the benefits look like benefits because the system tells us we need it to survive. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I, I need my job to survive. That is actually, I actually do need my job to survive. And like at what cost? 
am I willing to to give that? Am, am I willing to give it to the, at the cost of my own values? Am I willing to give it at the cost of, because, um, you know, I think about one of my values being, being able to see people as whole and complete and not constantly be in competition with them. And so you talk about, I might, you know, end up throwing under the bus someone else. I'm like, that's a cost to my very like value and who I say I am as a person, my own integrity. Uh, another benefit might actually look like, <clears throat> well, I'm trying to live my life. I'm, I am moving forward. I'm succeeding. Believe me, I played, I, <laughs> I won't say that I played. I thought that I would, if I was uh, good enough, like the good enough black person or the one that didn't make any, um, that kept everything calm, I would move up, people would like me more, all of these things. And again, I asked to what cost? That in, is any of that, was I being authentic in all of, any of those ways? Mm. Were people, was I having to um, kind of, you know, think through like, if I've got to do this, I've, okay, I, I'll show up like in this way and that will get me what I need as opposed to really being in touch with what was true for me, being, coming from an authentic place. So I'm, I don't, and I know it's easier for me to say, um, because I think when I talk to people about internalized subordination, it's sort of like, well, but I don't want to give this up because if I do, you know, what's going to happen on the other side? And I'm here to say, the other side is much brighter, you know, more colorful. We don't recognize how much our every people in marginalized groups might not. I don't want to put anyone else else's put my experience on anyone else. We might not recognize how much our world is like. I think of it as a film. Like when you, you have a, a, a shower with, you have those hard water, you know, stains and, and the, the glass just isn't as clear. We don't actually recognize how like filmy or foggy our worlds are because it's, we're distracted by uh, the oppression that we're constantly looking out for, or that we are afraid that people are going to see. We're, we're, it's just, it's not, it's not clear. And so I think really doing the healing work of venture, I know in my own life, doing that work, I have, my life is more colorful. Like it literally, because I'm present to it. I'm not constantly thinking about all of the things that I either think about myself or that I think someone else is thinking about me. That, that oppression teaches me that it's not true. Mm. As you were talking, the word performing came to me yes. that I was performing yes. the woman, the lesbian, um, when I was, quote, lower in organizations, you know, the assistant director, what was I supposed to do to fit in, to stay low enough, to stay yes. out of the, uh, uh, not have the harm come to me that I saw other people who spoke up, spoke out, challenged the system, spoke their truth. Yeah. I was like, ooh, I don't want that. I want this job. So um, the I love that piece. I'm sorry. Please. I, I love that piece about performing because I can think about from a working class place. I grew up working class and went to like 
very wealthy schools, I performed all the time. And, and what I probably wasn't recognizing is that I performed what I thought I should be. And I'm sure I gave away my class identity all the time because, you know, class is much of a, a social identity as anything else. And so there are things that we live out. And so I lived out my working class identity all the time. You know, one of them things, my, my mom made all of my clothes when I was younger and I had some shame about that. And so I tried to, you know, fit in, in, in different ways. And, and that it was just all internalized classism. I had nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, my, the fact that my mom was a seamstress and able to make all of our clothing and we looked great. And I knew, I, I think even now I know different fabrics because I went to the fabric store with her and I can choose, I can tell something of quality and not of quality. But at, at the time, it's sort of like I couldn't, I couldn't hold all of that because of internalized classism. I cut you off. So, no, you didn't. We're just building. Um, <laughs> and so, just I'm sitting with the pain of, tell me I'm wrong, but the judgment of your mom. There might have been a race class intersect mm -hmm. there, <clears throat> and I keep hearing this out of my privileged identities because what's missing. What my fear is people listening could say we're blaming the victims in that because I chose to collude and go along because the system of sexism and heterosexism and sizism were so powerful that I didn't see another way to survive. And so I want to just remind our listeners is this is we are clearly couched in the systemic white supremacy, male supremacy, class, upper class, rich supremacy. I could keep going that there's so few choices that if we choose healing and we choose to be in our full selves, there could be cost consequences if an organization is still perpetuating oppression daily. If we work with organizations to move so that they're aware of the costs of holding on to the oppression and then there might be more room for people to show up as their full brilliant selves in their subordinated yeah. identities. Most organizations aren't there yet. Yeah. And one of the, um, I think one of my own fears and one of uh, what, when we think about sometimes resistance and, and people exploring internalized subordination, I think I was worried about people believing that I was blaming the victim by talking about this. And one of the things that we have to understand that internalized subordination keeps marginalized folks um, people who have been marginalized in systems of oppression in victim status. And so by exploring internalized subordination, what we're actually doing is calling out the power of the person who is in a victim status. Like it keeps us in, I talk about it as a victim consciousness, that the world, everything is, is happening to me. Like I, I have no control in this. Exploring internalized subordination honestly has given me my power back. Mm. My power as a female, my power as um, a queer person, my power around race. I can see the ways in which oppression lies on a daily basis. And I can say, oh, that's just not, you're not, 
that's the system speaking and that is not who who that's not the truth of who I am and that's only through doing years and continual years and you know I'll do it today I'll do it tomorrow constantly noticing the ways in which I have internalized the different forms of oppression and subordinated identities hmm. the metaphor of constant gardening the weeds yeah just they keep um in one of the articles you published, you talked about mental prison, if I remember that metaphor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there might have even been bars in one of the images. And I just thought that was so powerful of the image I'm having is, ooh, that's just mental prison that I was put in. I refuse to be a part of. And it sounds easier than, it, than the work I know it's taken me. But part of why I want to be continuing to talk with you and others is I think we can speed up and accelerate how quickly folks today, given the national context, how much revolution liberation is happening on so many levels based on the centuries mm -hmm. of revolution and liberation, that doesn't have to take decades. Um, one of uh, the wonder questions I have is, so why should organizations care? Because it's we've been at the individual level a lot in the first half hour or so of why we might want to have liberation get with other folk and we'll talk more about how after the break other folk of our marginalized identity for liberation healing but why should a manager a senior leader a whole organization invest in three-day workshops invest in ongoing affinity space invest in leadership development year-long programs for folks focused on their marginalized identity why should organizations, so what's the cost to organizations if we just maintain the status quo? Well, we know one that um, individuals on individuals in organizations and individuals on teams are not actually accessing their full power and therefore their full brilliance and, and bringing their best to organizations. Um, I think because we know that with internalized oppression, internalized subordination, comes shame, comes mistrust, comes all of these things. Um, your teams are not working as efficiently as they can. Uh, and, you know, organizations, I think about efficiency is the name of the game, you know, for some organizations. And, and producing great new ideas, if someone doesn't have access to their full brilliance, they're not bringing, you know, their full um, creative power, essentially. I think that we take creative power for, for uh, granted. And I think we have to really understand that without that, organizations are being hurt. When we come back from break, we're going to talk more about that. As we go to break, can you just please share some contact information? How can people keep learning with you, contact you? find out how you can come to their organizations? Sure. Um, my website is uh, www.authenticseeds.org. Uh, and um, you also can contact me by my uh, email address, uh, tanya at tanyawilliams.org. And I'm on Facebook at Authentic uh, Coaching and Consulting and uh, Authentic Seeds at Authentic Seeds for both Instagram and Twitter. So I'm out in the digital world. And on your website, I know you have some resources and other maybe videos you've done 
Mm -hmm. uh, people just want to keep learning with you in ways and you go to all kinds of nonprofit, corporate, higher ed, K-12 organizations to do all kinds of organizational change. And if you go onto the website for Transformation Change Radio, you can find my book, In It for the Long Haul, which is the one on self-care and healing, which as we come back, we'll talk more about to what can be a part of healing and self-care, community care. So that's a nice free resource and lots of supplemental. Uh, there's also a webinar recording about how to teach and use the resources. And as always, I, could, I think my course on navigating difficult situations could be a great way to have a whole cohort go through and do some of that internalized healing work, as well as if you want to learn how to teach and train around equity inclusion and healing, designing facilitating workshops and equity inclusion, social justice, you'll see links. And you just go to www, there's an extra doctor, kathyobear.com, K-A-T-H-Y-O-B-E-A-R.com backslash events. You can find all kinds of resources free and the courses I'm talking about. We will be back more with Dr. Tanya Williams. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Welcome back. I am Dr. Kathy O'Bear, and I'm so delighted to be here with Dr. Tanya Williams of Authentic Seeds Coaching and Consulting. Continue our conversation about healing, internalized subordination, working towards liberation. Why as individuals and why as organizations we have to center and really invest in it. And so where I'd love to start, Tanya, is I have heard you say that folks in subordinated identities might only bring a small percentage of themselves to the work environment. And you actually said in one conversation recently, I've been quoting you, 20%. And I heard that and it hit my whole body because I knew organizations weren't maximizing creativity, innovation. They weren't getting the most um, robust, highly inclusive organizational teams, all that. But to realize, as, particularly as a white person, how much brilliance, insight, I was losing leadership, our organization was losing, uh, you really kind of had me, I just stopped in my tracks. Well, I wonder if you would please say more. Yeah, I, so it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I think about that number is probably a combo of my own experience and my experience of watching and talking to people um, of color or women or queer folks in organizations that have not created equitable spaces around race, gender, um, you know, around class, around sexual orientation. Because what I end up hearing in one-on-one -on -one conversations with those folks is very different than how I see people show up in, you know, full organizational workshops. And so if you think about an or, uh, a relationship in your life where there may not be a lot of trust, where there may not be a lot of um, 
intention where there may not be a lot of space for people to show up as their full selves or as, as your full self in that relationship, how much of that, how much of yourself does that person get? And that's what's happening in organizations that if I'm walking around one in an organization that hasn't made space for me, but I also have internalized subordination that I have not gotten a chance to understand or work on. Um, the whole of me is not showing up. And again, I'm, you know, I think innovation is key to organizations and really um, getting the benefit of all of their employees. And so, yeah, you know, I think, think about the people who have marginalized identities in the organization. If you have not created equitable spaces, you're getting like not even close to what is possible for them to show up. Mm. So they may not feel valuing the organization and leave. So that whole revolving door. I'm also aware of the system, again, keeping race for me centered. I hear whites say, well, they left for a better job. You know, it really wasn't a good fit. This environment, there's just not a lot of people of color here. So they went to a, a city with more cultural op- and all these reasons cover white supremacy thinking, well, they weren't competent, they were deficient. And so I'm even in this call realizing that we, I, and then we as organizations need to center healing work in affinity spaces for whatever internalized subordination is still there. That's just one piece while we also do systemic change. I want to make sure people hear because Yes, center healing work, but don't do it in a way that then acts out more white supremacy. Because I think people will hear that and say, okay, this is one more thing that I can do for people of color <laughs> to make people feel better in their organizations. And, and I can pat myself on the back for being a good white person. That is not a way to come into this. One, you cannot name other people's internalized subordination for them. And so if you are a person in a dominant group, one, you should be focusing on your own internalized dominance. Two, if you're looking at someone else and saying, oh, they're just doing that because of internalized subordination, you have officially acted out some more internalized (laughs) dominance because it's not, internalized subordination is not for anybody else to name. It's for people to own for themselves, but I believe that organizations can actually create spaces for healing. And that is something not because, you know, I want to be seen as the good person that's creating this space, but, but knowing that it is part of your equity work. If you're doing equity work, you have to create these spaces as well. You're about to talk about equal justice initiative, and I don't want to interrupt that. So I'm holding it up to the camera. Equal Justice Initiative, you're the one that turned me on to this. you want to say more about your experience, but also how you might see this as part of liberation? Yeah. Um, so Equal Justice Initiative, if folks have not read the book, Just Mercy, first, go get that. Two, go watch um, a TED Talk by Brian Stevenson. Um, Equal Justice Initiative comes out of and is Brian Stevenson's work. And now he has a beautiful staff of so many more people. Um, But it's located in Montgomery, Alabama. And um, the two pieces 
that I want to highlight, well, three pieces. Um, One, Equal Justice Initiative is really doing incredible work to transform people's, particularly innocent and wrongfully accused people, um, and people who have, because he talks about folks who um, have mental health issues and um, children and women, and the way that people are treated and like, yeah, what our prison systems are doing to people uh, who are, are really marginalized in, in specific ways. So that's one part of their work. The other part, other two parts, wonderful museum down in Montgomery, Alabama, and um, a very powerful uh, monument and memorial to uh, the history of lynchings in the United States up to 1950. And I think that that's an important naming because it is, let's be clear that um, lynchings did not stop in 1950. Um, but the way that it was explained to me when I asked the question of why, uh, other monuments and, and memorials and movements pick up after 1950. And so they allowed for you know the continuation of the story, but really looking at how lynchings was a, were a, um, an RA uh, upholding of you know, white supremacy, ideology, violence. Get yourself to Montgomery, Alabama. Totally. Racial terror lynching, a tool yes. of terrorism maintaining white supremacy. You went with a group and they actually facilitated, held them before, during, and after as a way of professional development. My wife and I went last week uh, off of your recommendation, and I've been on Facebook ever since and will for a hopefully until I die, just trying to get people there. I intend to go back organizing white people who want to then bring more people because the power for me for healing internalized dominance, it was a key piece to understand the pervasive white supremacist history that's intentional. I drew through lines that plus the book White Rage has helped me in this last six weeks really see the, just the through line of intentional white supremacy to this day which has me even more empowered as a white person to be partnering following the leadership of folk of color. So healing. Here's my wonder. If folk of color, particularly African-American experience in Montgomery, Legacy Museum, National Memorial Peace and Justice, my, the story I made up this morning is it may help them get out of denial if they still are. If they're mm-hmm. still believing the system works or there's racism isn't that bad or I just have to work harder, that maybe the African-American Museum in D.C. or reading courses, Afro-Am courses, Latino X courses, Native American indigenous, but really getting out of denial to see systemic oppression and the history and the devastation and why it's used to keep whites in power and white supremacy. I wonder if that's a critical step so that folk of color in this case, for me as a woman, I had to understand sexism, misogyny enough so that I was willing to do my inner healing work. So I could be wrong, but that's something I was playing with this morning. I think that that, I, I definitely think for white people going, I, it will be, I would be hard pressed and would be willing to talk to any white person who moved through both of those experiences of the Legacy Museum and the Peace and Justice Memorial and still had a, a confusion about a system of oppression um, around race because it's hard to go through that. I, I can't, it's hard for me to understand 
people moving through. And so I'd, I'd want to understand more about like how you were able to do that. For folks of uh, color, particularly African-American, um, and I think, I think actually all other racial groups to understand what happened in the United States around mm -hmm. racial terror and how that racial terror then ends up living in an ideology of marginalization. Like what terror actually does to you? Um, Post-traumatic slave syndrome is, is a really great way to think about this, like that slavery taught people who were enslaved, therefore generationally, there are things that get passed down. In the same way that uh, the Legacy Museum tells such a like incredible and thorough history of slavery and racial terror all the way up to present with the incarceration of um, black and brown bodies. It makes me think about like, oh, terror, there's a reason that I'm, I have fear to access anything else other than what we're living right now. Because I actually don't know that anything else exists. I don't know that there's something beyond my own, you know, belief that white people are, are better or I, it is so long and so in our way of being. I think about, you know, even the, the museum really just <laughs> blew this up for me. The way that we talk about the great migration of now I black people flee the South, but it, it so is written as this, well, black people migrated North. And, and it's like, that was on racial terror. And so as people were fleeing and they settled in these spaces, what do you think psychologically was happening for them? And so all of this is so connected for me and I really, really want to encourage people to go down to the museum um, and go down to Montgomery and experience the South. As you talk, uh, generational trauma and so many people today I'm hearing talk about, not only is it passed down in stories, what's said, what's not said, do's, don'ts, um, here's how I want you to stay alive as you go out driving, you know, mm -hmm. but many believe, and I'm beginning to, that it's literally in ourselves. It's scientifically mm -hmm. folks have found that DNA changes when folks experience trauma, whether yep. it's related to what we're talking about, oppression and or other kinds of violence. And so as we start, I need to breathe because this is feeling bigger and bigger all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we first start with what do you mean by liberation? And then we'll end the conversation knowing we're going to do a part two in January of ways even more to do liberation. But what, what is possible? What is liberation? I, I love that you said what's possible. Um, because the thing I want to say, and this is the piece that, you know, that I think people are challenged in uh, looking at internalized subordination. It's like everything is actually possible. And to really wrap your mind around, I, I as Tanya, human being, with this skin, with this body, I can do almost all things. You know, I, you know, I'm not talking like fly or stuff like that. So far, not accessible. And I could write a book. I could um, think broadly and boldly about, you know, so many things, the things that interest me, 
but internalized oppression has me thinking otherwise. And so I, I actually want to share a definition of liberation and, and highlight it a little bit, um, highlight something in it, because I think that this is the piece that if we don't get this, and it takes time to get it, um, because it's only, I think, come clearer to me in the last couple of years. Let me read this uh, definition from specifically Dr. Love, Dr. Uh, Sapphire DeYoung, and uh, Joe Kent Katz. Um, the creation of, liber of liberation, the creation of relationships, societies, communities, organizations, and collective spaces characterized by equity, fairness, and the implementation of systems for the allocation of goods, services, benefits, and rewards and this is the key part, that support the full participation of each human and the promotion of their full humanness. And I, I say that that's the key part because, yes, we want to create spaces that allow for this, the opportunity for people to access their full humanness and their full humanity. And right now, I think when I'm in my internalized subordination, my full humanity, my full humanness is about that big. Mm. In actuality, it's, it's massive. But in internalized subordination, I, like my world is supposed to be like literally that big. And so liberation is, you know, the, this room, the size of this room for people. And internalized, internalized subordination can't allow us to see that. Because it is being used by the system to uphold itself. The system actually needs you to, to live in that internalization to uphold the other part of it. I'm experiencing this in several client systems that uh, we're in, I'm in, that we're really helping intact teams look at the racist microaggressions, the white supremacy culture in day to day. And I'm seeing this in organizations. I'm seeing this across campuses of more folk of color choosing liberation, choosing empowerment, speaking up, speaking out. You can just look at University or Syracuse University mm -hmm. in the last several weeks, how yeah. students, staff, and faculty reacting to the pervasive racism yeah. that's been day to day and the just barrage of racist, anti Semitic, and other. So, even the last, probably since Ferguson and Mizzou. So, Here's what I would love to keep talking about, and we're going to do part two. What I'm noticing is, is more folks of color speaking up, speaking out from empowered place, naming dynamics, not tolerating racist microaggressions, white supremacy culture, finding other folk of color so that we're in solidarity, meeting mm -hmm. an affinity space. White folk are scared. They're going into deep fragility and they are feeling so incompetent. And so it almost magnifies the daily microaggressions because as folks of color are asking whites to come and be in dialogue, whites are perpetuating racism more. And that intervention is more intense and long-term coaching, affinity space, come together, whoops, not quite ready, more affinity space. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't realize how intense the work is to heal internalized dominance and internalized subordination inside an organization. It's very intense. And it's, well, I, I, <laughs> I, I want to say that I think people need to understand the depth of the work that it requires to heal any of this. 
I think that that organizations that I see sometimes is like, can we just do this one thing and now we understand? Like, if I could actually come in and take an hour every day of, you know, as long as your organization exists, I think that that would be too little. I, I actually, it is, I'm getting like that the practice, the the understanding, the, the re, you know, focusing in on terminology, the, the practice, re-layering that, layering it over and over is the only way that we can move and move this stuff in organizations. I think about the, you know, the recoil and, and uh, defensiveness of dominant groups. Cause I'm like, you talk about whites. Yes. White people are doing it, but let's think about the number of men that were just like railing against me Too movement and the number of straight folks who are like, no marriage is only for a man and a woman. That is oppression trying to survive and people being used by oppression to survive. And so that's why, why I say, if you have not included, if you're serious about equity and have not included work around healing for people in marginalized uh, identities, to really explore what it means to, to live outside of internalized subordination, your equity work is incomplete. Because I think so much of our equity work, and over years I've I've talked about, it's directed at at dominant group members to kind of do some catch up um, around, and it's and it's like right, we're still acting out the same supremacy. These people are most important. The dominant groups aren't the most important. Everybody is important, and you need to understand the different ways that oppression actually has impacted people because of its power dynamics. In some of the work I've been doing lately, as we've had space for folks of color to speak up, speak out, engage, name racist dynamics very directly with whites, and I'm supporting the whites hanging in there, the brilliance, the leadership of folk of color, I I really have seen, especially this last month, and I didn't realize how much the impact of internalized subordination and systemic oppression and so I know we're going to do a part two in January, but could we say a little bit more about what are some ways you're working in organizations around creating healing spaces and at the same time holding the dominant group accountable for their healing? What, what are you doing? And then we'll talk in much more detail in January. So a couple of things come to mind. One is, um, one, helping the dominant group members realize like it's talking at both the internalized dominance and the internalized subordination like place that it's not the dominant group members get this and and internalized subordination folks get something else but it's like that we need to understand how internalization works just everybody then really thinking about um um, my colleague uh, barry and i had a, a session yesterday with a client that we had two caucus spaces and I know that while I was with the People of Color Caucus, there is some internalized dominance or internalized subordination dynamics that ended up working out in that People of Color Caucus. And so the work is vastly different than what might have been occurring in a white caucus. And so creating space for those caucuses to happen 
I think a lot of times I'm seeing that people are putting a lot more attention on um, white caucuses and it's like white people need to learn. And I'm like there, and then they allow the, the people of color just to get together. And I'm like, no, there's actual work that has to be done there. I think um, Dr. Love's <clears throat> work around liberatory consciousness really started to starting to um, expand and deepen what it means to have a liberatory consciousness uh, and how that you know compares to the oppressive consciousness that we're walking around with right now um, that oppression has taught us some things and, and we need to start naming that um, but how do we turn our attention towards liberation and what does that even mean um, i think yeah affinity spaces right now uh and and actual doing actual work and thinking about dynamics that were learned um, in affinity, I think is is one of the best ways to go about healing. I want to remind folks on my website and get free, but I'm not racist tools for well-meeting whites. If you want to be thinking about how to do white affinity spaces or dominant group. The reason I'm bringing it up now is I'm working in one system where I was supporting the folk of color, what they could be doing. And I kept recommending you. And <laughs> I know they're going to be talking to you. <laughs> But in the meantime, what they said was, if the white people are reading that book, we want to read it. Because um, maybe we have things we want to learn about. Maybe we're perpetuating whiteness. And I realized as a white person, the consultant, I didn't want to suggest it because I was saying mm -hmm. you may want to find some. I sent them some of your readings, your writings. And so I just realized that uh, they asked for, so they're using it. And then other folk of color have found it useful to understand white internalized dominance. So whatever tool there is maybe for folk of color to first maybe be able to talk about, let's talk about what white supremacy is, white supremacy culture, racism, how it's impacting our lives, how we might be supporting it, therefore our healing work. What do you think about that? Not that there has to be an order, but I do wonder. I So I do think that reading your book, um, well, one, understanding the system, like if that book helps you understand the system better and, and particularly the ways that white people are, are acting out the system, by all means. Though what I, I caution people is that sometimes around race, um, marginalized groups will focus so on white people that it, it is used as a way to avoid digging in deeper. Um, and so like when I, I do, you know, caucus groups, uh, I always start with the reality of it's like the white people are out of the room, let's leave them out of the room so that we can do our work. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's a different level. I think people are, has, I think it is terrorizing, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to see some stuff about myself that might, you know, call up a lot of shame and, and things. And so I do think it's helpful. I, I know for me, it was super helpful to understand how the system works and how people in dominance in the system are acting the system out, but never, never to the expense of me doing my own reflective work about how the system also lives in me. Thank you so much for today and for saying you'll be back on Monday, January 6th. Where I'm thinking, we'll chat, but I'm thinking, so how do you do affinity space if you have people in marginalized groups that are still in denial? How about if they're in judgment about their own group 
or stuck on blaming. So would you just please remind folks once again how they can contact you and find out more and then we're gonna have to close this puppy. <laughs> sure, um, I'm at Tanya at tanyawilliams.org and that is T-A-N-Y-A. Uh, or you can get me on any of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for the continuing dialogue. I keep learning with you and you can find lots of free resources at drkathygobert.com backslash events. Tanya, I wish you wonderful times these different holiday seasons and I look forward to seeing you again January 6th. And to the rest of you all, heal well. Take good care. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.